It's a joy to be here today. Um, two weeks ago, Brother Fred had me share that the Lord gave me a rhema word, a word uh, even in the midst of the message that he confirmed to me. And as I was sitting there, I know several people have asked me, you know, David, like, I want to hear from God. I want to hear God speak to me. And I got to be very honest with you, that week before, I had just gotten on my face and said, God, here I am in all reality. I'm just going to just share with you exactly where I'm at, God, and I need a word. And I just poured my whole heart out. And so if you're sitting here today, I pray that in this moment that you will just be real with God and just pour your heart out and say, God, here's where I'm at. And God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your word today. And God, I want to just take what, what you're speaking and I want, to, I want to run with it. But God, I want to know that you are speaking to me today. I think too often we come to God sometimes and we just start off with... Uh, just kind of like tiptoeing around things. And, you know, God already knows what we're going through. He already knows what's happening in our lives. So I think that we can just go straight before God. I don't think I know. And just lay right before God and just pour it all out. So today, as we go into this time, and, and, and Brother Fred jokes about it being the fourth Sunday of the month, but that means I had more time to prepare. Um, so prepare to stay longer um, today. But I just, I just pray that today that you will just simply just fall before God and say, God, here I am. Just speak to me. And so we're going to start off with my favorite verse in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And it says, My preaching and my teaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, I pray right now, Lord, that the truths of who you are will overflow in this place, that the Word of God will speak, and that, God, that you will remove me out of the way. Lord, I pray that today that it's the power of God that goes forth. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and we want to exalt your name in this place today. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the past five weeks has been incredible. How many of y'all have enjoyed the last five weeks? I, the testimonies have just been amazing. Just hearing what God is doing in the life of those at Luke 4.18 and, and walking through the scripture of Luke 4.18 and what this church, this body of believers uh, has been built on and, and, and the scripture and seeing it to overflowing in this body. It's just been awesome. And I really wish that we had the opportunity for every person to come up and just share their testimony. Uh, we would be here for a long time. And maybe, maybe the Lord wants to do that and revival is going to break forth and I'm ready to stay as long as y'all want to stay. But in my heart, just such a beautiful testimony of seeing what God has been doing here at Luke 418. And so I started asking the Lord, I said, Lord, where, how do I follow up to a message on Luke 4.18? That is uh, really what this church is founded on, uh, Christ and Christ alone. And so the Lord began to just show me and take me through several different things. I've written three different messages or God through me. And finally, on the third one, he said, this is the one I'm supposed to speak today. Uh, so I'm ready for the next couple weeks. Um, but I'm going to share this with you today. And that is, is that this past November, Brother Fred came up to me and just shared with me this past December that in January that he was going to move me to associate pastor for discipleship. And so as I began to think on that and as I began to really just dwell on discipleship, I, I, I have not had the opportunity to stand before you and really share my heart for discipleship. 
And so this morning, we're going to just take a very uh, general 5,000, 10,000 foot approach on what is discipleship. We're going to just kind of just chew on this just a little bit. And let me just tell you, this is, I mean, like we just are jumping out of the plane, skydiving down, because we're going to look at a very, very large piece of, of scripture of talking about discipleship. We're going to try to, to, to really discuss just a few pieces of it today. And so after going through Luke 418, I, I felt in my heart that we needed to walk through just what is discipleship and what does it mean to be a disciple? And so in my heart, just crying out to God, he took me back to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. So if you open your scriptures to Matthew chapter 28, it'll be on the screens as well. I have to confess that this past week, um, we have hired a youth pastor, and he has done an incredible job. Uh, Josh Brown, the last two and a half months, has just excelled beyond anything I could even fathom. And this last week, I've, we've, the last couple weeks, we've really just, it's been him, just him doing the ministry and serving God and running with it. And this past week has really been hard for me. How many of y'all have done something where you have poured your heart and soul into something and then it was finished? For me, it was the Ironman when I, I, I trained for 10, 11 months and then I ran the race and I finished. And many people told me, they said, David, make sure you have some people in your life to encourage you afterwards because you will possibly be a little bit depressed because what you have worked so hard for is now over. Some of y'all, it might be a wedding. You, you, you've prepared for a wedding. Maybe if you're a, a young girl, you prepared for it when you were four years old all the way until the time that it happened. Uh, and and you, you begin, the wedding's over, and the honeymoon's over, you come home and you say, man, like, like I've worked so hard and, and to get this wedding prepared, and now it's over. And you begin to say, man, like, and the Lord, this past week, I confess, I said, God, I'm struggling a little bit. You know, for seven and a half, eight, nine years of my life, I have poured into student ministry and I'm sitting back looking, and, I'm, and, and we've, we've passed the baton, so to say, uh, to, to Josh Brown. And, and I just said, Lord, you know, for me, like a piece of, of who I've been for 19 years. And the Lord spoke to me in the quietness of the moment. He said, David, I've called you to disciple. And he said, who are you to disciple? And I said, well, believers. And he said, well, good answer. And I said, okay, Lord, what, what are you trying to explain to me? He said, David, disciples are all ages. It's not just student ministry. It's all ages. And so, David, I have called you to go and to disciple all ages, to pour into all ages that they may go forth and share the gospel. And so this past week, though it was a bittersweet for me, just seeing just a piece that, that I had poured into, now I'm getting to see what God had told me a long time ago. I'm going to share something I've never shared with you all before. When I was a senior in high school, I was sitting there at Cottage Baptist Church, and I had been in, in the Mobile Christmas Spectacular. Please don't go look it up, because I, I do sing in that, and uh, I did sing a solo, and uh, I, I hope that all the tapes are gone, right? And uh, I was sitting there, and I was practicing my lines, and a guy spoke to me, and he said, David, I just want you to know, the reason that have chosen you for this part is because God's called you to speak and for all generations to hear the message in one message. And today I'm seeing what was spoken 15, 16 years ago come to fruition. And that's why I went into the ministry. That was the calling of my life right then and there in that moment. 
So let's go to Acts chapter 28. One of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make... Let's try that again. Go therefore and make... Disciples. That does not say go make big events. That doesn't say go make programs. What that says is go and make disciples. But where? It says of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, if we're going to dissect Acts 28, which we're not going to take a ton of time here. We're just going to use this as a reference point today. But really, verse 18 and verse 20 are very, very pivotal verses. In verse 18, it says, All authority has been given to me. And in verse 20, it says, I will be with you. All right, let's think about that for a second. All authority has been given to Jesus, and He will be with us. Now, I don't know about y'all, but as I was preparing this morning and getting ready, I was listening to some music, and there's a song out by Big Daddy Wee that says, My God is a lion, the lion of Judah. And I'm just sitting there thinking, man, that is my dad. Like, he's bigger than all, greater than all. There's nothing I have to worry about or fear because my God, my dad is with me. And even this morning, as I come to you and I speak, it's not me, it's God. And it's His power that goes forth, as 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says. And so what... Matthew 28 is telling us is because God has all authority, because Jesus has all authority, and because He will be with us, He says, go and make disciples. So my question to you is this, what is a disciple? The word disciple really means a learner. It means to learn. It means to follow, to grow, to understand. And so the question here is, are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a learner of Christ? Do you continue to, 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 to know God and who He is? And so as I was praying and seeking out about what is a disciple, I came up with just two qualifications that I want to talk about today. Number one is that a disciple of Christ is a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, let me just kind of put it this way. All disciples of Christ are Christians, but all, not all Christians are disciples. Let me say that again. All disciples are believers in Christ. They have been born again, but not all Christians are or disciples. And what I mean by that is this, is that some people may profess to be a Christian, though some people may profess to be a disciple of Christ, but yet they've truly never made Him Lord of their life. And there's a scripture in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, that talks about this. And it says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? And in Your name cast out demons? And in Your name perform miracles? And what will He say? He will say, Depart from Me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And so as I ask you today, are you a disciple of Christ? The real question is, is are you a believer in Christ Jesus? Have you gotten to the point where you've laid your life down and said, God, I realize that without the blood of the Lamb, I am condemned. Without the blood of the Lamb, I am a sinner. And I have come to the conclusion that I can do nothing apart from you. Are you a disciple? So the first question here and the first qualification in my heart is this, is that do you truly believe that Jesus Christ is not only your Savior, but your Lord? A.W. Tozer says this, he says that salvation outside of obedience is not scriptural. 
Salvation without obedience is not scriptural. So the question is, is it just a proclaim like, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, or is it truly that you believe and that you've not just made him the, the savior of your life, but you've made him the Lord of your life? Let me give you an example here. I like to play basketball. I'm terrible at it. When God was making me or creating me or, or uh, giving me life, he looked into to, to putting me together and ran out of basketball skills when he created me. Um, as you know, I have no basketball skills. And so, but I love to play. So I would call myself a basketball player. But the problem is, is that even though I call myself a player, am I really a basketball player? Well, on whose standard am I? On my standard, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, as a little kid, you, you drop back at the last second and you just shoot and if you miss it, you say, let's try that again. And you do it and you miss it. Well, let's try it again. Then you hit it and you're like, oh, the crowd goes wild. You won the game. And you think you're the best basketball player ever known to man. But the problem is, it's just a profession. You're just saying it. You're just saying, hey, hey, I, I, I'm good at this or I'm this or I'm that. And the question though is, is, is it real? Whose standard are, are, are we aligning ourselves? Are we just saying and professing that we're a disciple or a Christian? Or are we truly a believer in Christ? And is he truly our Lord and our Savior? See, the standard is Christ, not me. The standard is humility to the point of emptying yourself, laying your life down, and accepting the blood of the Lamb. The second thing that I see in a disciple is is that a disciple is not only a believer in Christ, but they are humble slash teachable. A disciple is humble slash teachable. Now, for those who understand humility will understand that humility goes hand in hand with salvation. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is blessed or the poor in spirit? What does poor in spirit mean? When you really look and when you really chew on what does poor in spirit mean, it means to be humble. It means to empty yourself. It means to, to, to humble yourself. And so why would it say, for theirs is the kingdom of God? What happens when you completely get to the point of humility? At the lowest place of humility, at the greatest place, I should say, of humility, where you've laid everything down, you find yourself at the point of salvation. Why is that? Because you've laid your life down. For the glory of Christ and for Him and Him alone. When Christ enters your life, you're laying your old self down, which is humility to accept that of Christ. And this is why I see in so many people that are older who have, who have gained so much in their life that it's such a difficult place for them to come to salvation because they have built so much in their life and they've done so much on their own that they've gotten to the point that they say, hey, if, for me to accept Christ means that I have to basically release pride. I have to lay down the pride because I've built all this stuff and, 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 and I'm, a, I'm a self-made man and I've done all these things. And God's saying, hey, if you want to know Him as your Lord and Savior, you must lay it all down. If you're truly a disciple, number one, you're a believer in Christ. And number two, humility comes along side of that in Philippians chapter 3 verses 7 through 11 Paul talks about the fact that he counts all as loss for the sake of Christ everything that he has gained he counts as loss for the sake of knowing Christ in verse 8 it says more than that I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord 
Let me ask you a question. If disciple means to learn, if it's a learner, then how many of us, looking at that scripture in verse 8, how many of us are saying, I'm willing to lay everything down to be a learner, to know Christ Jesus, my Lord? You're sitting here today and you're saying, David, I'm a disciple of Christ. Are you willing to lay it all down to know your God? Are you willing to lay everything down to say, I want to know you? And I want to know everything about you. It says, now as Jesus, or excuse me, in verse 3, go to verse 11 for me, Stephen. In verse 11, it says, in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. He says, hey, I want to know Christ. And I'm I'm not going to count anything that I have. I'm going to count it as some scriptures say garbage. That I may know Christ. That I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. In Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22, Simon and Andrew, Simon later becomes Peter, Simon and Andrew um, dropped everything to follow Christ. In verse 18 it says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was also called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately... And in verse 20, I want you to just really, like, if if you feel comfortable underlining your scriptures, underline this is a sign of a disciple. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. Listen, they saw the value of knowing God. They saw the value of learning who Jesus was and being a disciple, following in the dust of their rabbi, as many would say, because they were so close, wanting to know more and more and more about who God was, who Jesus was, that they dropped everything immediately. Now, I understand if you've studied the, the Scripture and, and you've really chewed on the fact of, of what it meant to follow a rabbi in those days. I get the fact that it was a prestigious thing for them to be a student or a disciple of a rabbi. I get that. But still, they had to have enough trust and faith to leave everything that they had built to follow Jesus. You want to truly be a disciple of Jesus? Then you have to humble yourself just as you did at the point of salvation, and say that I'm willing to go to Christ and learn from Him, not trying to bring who I am and the good things and the great things about me and all my knowledge and understanding. I'm willing to just lay myself before God and say, use me, direct me, just as the clay and the potter's hands. Are you willing, as a disciple of Christ, to humble yourself to say, God, your ways are better than my ways. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your future. I'm going to trust the plans that you have for me. And God, I'm going to lay everything down, even if it means that I breathe my last today for the kingdom of God. And that's the question here. Now, the other part of that is humility and slash teachable is this, is that if somebody is not teachable, then really, if somebody's trying to be a disciple maker, if I'm discipling other people and you're not teachable, then really it's a waste of my time. Now, that might sound very harsh, but let's be real for a second. If I'm going to sit there and I'm going to spend time pouring into you, but yet you're not going to be a learner of what's being spoken, then really the words that are being spoken and the time that's being invested is really a waste of time. I would rather work with a teachable person any day. And you might say, well, hold up, David, i got a question for you. What if you, working with them, can create them to be teachable? Well, it kind of sounds like somebody saying, I'm going to date this person in order to convert them to Christianity. How has that ever worked? 
I've heard students say, I'm going to flirt to convert. That doesn't work. (laughs) But here's the thing here. What I have learned in this, and I'm, I'm telling you this to teach about discipleship, what I have learned is that when people get to the point, as God works in them to become teachable, then they're going to have ownership in it. But if I try to create and make them teachable, I'm going to be the one making them teachable, they're not going to have ownership in it, and they will ultimately rebel against what you're trying to speak to them. So if somebody is not teachable then we got to get on our face and say, God, help them to be teachable. Somebody who's not teachable is ultimately walking in pride. Because ultimately they're saying, hey, i got it all together. Man, I'd love some knowledge and some understanding, but i got it all together. Let me just tell you something. I've been a believer for years. Brother Fred has as well. And both of us would say that we continually fall on our face before God because we realize that we are nothing without Him. And He continues to teach and wash over us. And we continue to grow every day because I realize that the closer I get to Christ, the, 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 the more empty that I am, the, the more wretched of a person that I am. But the closer I get to Him, I pull that off and I want to look more like Him. And guess what? what? I keep going and I keep stepping and I keep stepping. There doesn't come a point until the point that I am with Jesus in heaven that my growth will stop. And if it ever does, then it means that I'm walking in sin and pride. If a person's not teachable, then they will always defend and even justify their sin and their lack of growth in their life. If you're discipling somebody and all they're doing is continually defending and always saying, no, you don't understand and all this stuff, and all you're doing is being humble and presenting the gospel and presenting the truths of Scripture, but yet they continue to to rebuff and continue to put justification for what they're doing, that is a sign that they're not teachable. And so the question is, what does a disciple look like? They're a believer in Christ. They humble themselves and are, be, are teachable. Amen. And let me just tell you something. I, I use the word a few times of, of somebody discipling another person, a mentor or a disciple maker, as I like to say. A disciple maker always will be a disciple themselves, which means they will also be walking in humility and teachable themselves. Amen. My dear friend who's discipled me for six plus seven years now, will tell you that it was not an authoritative place where he's discipling me over me. It was a place of ultimately him learning and growing through it as well. And so a disciple maker will realize that if they are not walking in humility, if they're not teachable themselves, they're not going to be able to disciple other people. Because they're not going to be pointing them to Jesus and the Word of God. They're going to be pointing them to their own knowledge and understanding. And let me just tell you something. Jesus is the one who gives us the knowledge and understanding. And so we've got to point them to Jesus, not ourselves. Now, what does a disciple not look like? Since we kind of just talked about those two, and I told you it's, a, it's jumping out of the airplane, we're thousands of feet above. I'm just giving you a few little things here. So what does a disciple not look like? Well, let's go to Luke 14.27. It says, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? 
That means if you're not going to lay your life down for the kingdom of God, if you're going to sit there and be unteachable and say, I got it all together, and you're not going to say, God, I'm laying this down and I'm picking up my cross and I'm going to follow after you, it says, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He said, you cannot be my disciple. So you say, David, I, I, I don't know about this humility thing or this teachability thing. Well, I'm just telling you what the scripture says right there. You cannot be my disciple if you're not willing to lay it all down. Luke 9, 57 through 62. This is a scripture that just kind of shows a couple people that wanted to follow Jesus or talk to him or Jesus talked to them about following him and then what they came back with. It says, as, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, but first permit me to go and say goodbye to those who are at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his head to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so what do we see in these three scriptures? One, we see comfort. A man who was very, he didn't, uh, if, hey, Jesus says, hey, I have nowhere to lay my head. I don't know about y'all, but that doesn't sound fun to me. And if we're looking for something that's fun and energetic and all these things, I mean, hey, Jesus, God is. I mean, He gives me a spiritual high I've never experienced before in my life. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's exciting because I've laid it down and I want to run after the kingdom of God. My life is His. But if you're simply wanting to use Christianity for your own sword gain, if you want to use it to, to gain something, and let me tell you something, here in Alabama that happens. And if you don't believe me, look at some of the politicians, and I'm not talking about in Alabama, I'm talking about across the world, across the nation. Look at politicians who will simply use the name as, I'm a Christian. Simply to appease or appeal to certain people to gain something from it. When I was in high school, I remember everybody would call themselves a Christian. Why? Because in Mobile, Alabama, that's the thing to do. You drive a big truck and you're a Christian. Those are the two things you did in high school. I didn't have a big truck. So I was only halfway there. But that was a thing. Like, it was almost like a cool thing. People would wear WWJD because, like, that was, like, the cool thing to do. You know, I have utmost respect for those who still wear the WWJD bracelets when it's not a fad. Because for them, it's real. See, the problem is this. Too many people claim Christianity because they want to gain something from it. And let me tell you something. I understand that persecution is not something that we desire or want, but when persecution does come, guess who will be the first to run? Those who are just looking for something out of Christianity. Oh, they'll be gone. Hey, I don't know about y'all, but that excites me. You want to know why? Because when you prune the church and it's just true believers, guess what's going to happen? We're going to see the power of God rise up. And that excites me. The next thing that you see in that scripture is this. Is that one wanted to go back for a short time to bury. The other one wanted to go back and take care of all of his, his stuff and do all these things. And God says, don't look back. You have to be willing to say, God, I'm yours and I'm running for you and I'm not looking back. Why? Because you trust and you believe and you have faith in the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Count the cost. It costs you your life. It's the best thing you could ever do. You want to be a disciple of Jesus? It's going to cost you everything. 
But you're going to gain everything. Now, I'm not talking about on a... Uh, on a materialistic standpoint, I'm talking about the fact that you once were dead and now you're alive. I'm talking about like your soul was destined to hell, but now because of Christ and the blood of the Lamb and because you've given Him, you've laid your life down, He allows you to be reborn by the power of Christ and Christ alone by the blood of the Lamb. You gain everything. Somebody once told me, he said, David, being a believer is the safest place you can be. I said, yes, in Christ, that's true, but on this world, it sure ain't. Because the demons in hell are after us. And they're growing stronger. But not nearly as big as the power of my dad. Alright, so, we see here what a disciple looks like. A disciple is a believer in Christ, one who truly believes in Jesus. Their life's been transformed, they've been reborn. It's not just professing that you're a basketball player, that you're a Christian, you truly are a believer. Your life's been transformed. It's, you're also humble, teachable, and the things that you're not, it's not about comfort, it's not about gaining something for yourself, it's laying your life down for the kingdom of God. And so today I want to talk now, just briefly, about two things that the Lord put on my heart. What does a disciple do? Well, let's flip open to 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 6, and let's just kind of look at the scripture for a minute. The word disciple, as I shared earlier, means a learner, a follower. In 1 John chapter 2, 3 through 6, it says this, and I'm going to read the whole scripture, and then we're going to go back and kind of chew on it a little bit. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Now, when you go home today, I'd love for you to flip open to the scripture and circle the uh, words that, that are talking about Jesus or He, um, talking about God, and really look at that in relation to us and how the Scripture is kind of going back and forth between us knowing Him and we should walk as He walks. But the first thing I see here is, is that as a disciple, we're a learner. We will know Him, as it says, let's go to verse, chapter, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, By this... We know that we have come to know Him. Who's Him in this, script, in this portion? Jesus Christ, right? We will know that we've come to know Him. So how do we come to know Christ? We learn the Word of God by how? We study the Scripture. Let's look at John 1.1. 1, 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I've talked, I've shared a whole message on this, and that we need to stop just letting this sit around. This is the power of God. This is God who's speaking to us, letting us know who He is. We fall in love with this. Why? Because it's Jesus showing us His love for us, and, and His power, and His might, and all these different things that, that just, I just, I can't get enough of it. And I hope you can't either. And so we're a learner. We want to know the Word of God. Why? Because John 1, 1 says that the Word was God. You know, if God was sitting here, I hope that the way you've been treating your Bible is the same way that you would treat Him if He showed up. I hope that you are diving into it 
Because it's life. It's the words of God. And I can't, I can't give you any special formula. It's simply right here. And we must know it. By this they will know that we know God. So a disciple grows in knowledge and wisdom through studying the Word of God. We grow through Bible studies, through a mentor or a disciple maker. We grow through seminars and events. But the best way for you to grow in know Christ is by studying personally and learning about your dad. Hey, Bible studies are good. Events and seminars, they're great. I have, I have no problem with them as long as they're pointing to the Scripture, as long as they're pointing back to Christ. No problem with them. But they cannot substitute your daily time in the Word of God studying and learning about your dad. Listen, if my earthly father wrote me a book and the only way, and he's here today, if, if the only way that, that I could learn about my dad was through reading this book and, and, and really learning that, I would be diving in it because I want to know my earthly father. How much more should we want to know our heavenly father who died on the cross for us that we could have life, that he sent his son, excuse me, to die on the cross for us that we could have life. But yet we'll let the Bible just sit there. And we'll say, well, I enjoy it when somebody preaches it better than getting down and reading it. How do you know they're preaching the truth? Let me tell you what happens today. There's some pastors, and I won't say who because that's just, I don't have anybody coming into my head. I just know what happens. There's some pastors who will say, you know, this is how I'm going to present a message today. I'm going to start off by studying, and I'm going to take what I want to speak to the congregation, and then I'm going to go pick some verses here and there and let those verses kind of, kind of back up what I want to say. Now, I don't know about y'all, but whenever I'm in a situation like that, I get up and leave. But it's because I've studied the Word of God enough to know if somebody's manipulating Scripture just simply to verify a point they want to point out. But if you're not studying the Word of God daily, how would you know? You may sit there and allow it to digest in your heart and your soul. And then you begin to create a false belief system in your heart because somebody spoke it and you put more trust in the word of the man who was speaking than the Bible itself. So we're a learner. Let me just give you an example of this. And Well, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, then I'll share this example with you. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Hey, if you're not a learner, if you're not in the Word of God, I can't, I can't express it any more than what I'm saying. All I'm telling you is this is life for me. This is more important than the breakfast that I eat most mornings. Because I don't eat breakfast every morning. This is more important than food itself. And it says that we are able to accurately handle the Word of truth. Let me give you this example. I was in Israel and I got to spend almost a month there. One of the best months of my life. I'm still waiting on the Lord or my wife to understand the Lord's calling us to Israel. I would be there in a heartbeat. Um, no, I, I, just, I just love Israel. I just love that Jerusalem. And just, I mean, just that month I was there was unbelievable. And I was in Jerusalem the last week I was there and I was walking up to go see some different things. And let me just tell you something. That's very traditional. There's a lot of traditional stuff. And this guy walked up to me, and he was of a different faith. He was a Muslim. And he handed me a brochure. And I, I took it. 
And I'll explain to you why I took it, because I wanted to know what it said. You ever wondered what stuff said? I mean, sometimes if you don't know what it says, then, you know, I was like, man, this might give me a chance just to look at it and see what they're trying to share. And I still have it. It's in my office. And it was actually a, uh, uh, a track. It was a track trying to get me to convert to Islam. Okay? And what he didn't know is that I'm in quote-unquote seminary at the Cook Institute preparing to go preach the gospel. And so I was excited. Like, I was like, let's look at this thing. And so I began to look at it. And let me tell you what happened. This is not an apologetics message, but let me tell you what happened. He took, or whoever wrote the brochure, took one part of this scripture and half of this scripture and a third of this one and put them all together and said, Christianity can't exist. But let me tell you something. All of y'all would sit there and say, well, we get that. That's awesome. Like, it's just, it's just false. He didn't go into, if he would have taken the whole scripture in context, we would have understood that what he said was absolutely wrong. Correct? Correct. But when you walk into a church and a pastor's ultimately doing the exact same thing, do you know it's false? Because what does a pastor do that just simply takes a little piece of scripture and tries to back up his own agenda? It's the exact same thing. So do you know the word of God well enough? If you're looking at a track from a different religion, your alerts are already going off saying something's wrong. We've got to figure out what's wrong with this. But when you walk into a place that is called a church, a place that is called a body of believers, a place that uses even the word Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist, but yet the pastor is not listening and and studying the Word of God and, and speaks something. If you do not know the Word of God, if you're not a learner, and that's the reason why I say you must always go back to, to your personal studies to understand, to know your dad. Or else you'll find yourself believing false belief systems. That will take you, as Brother Fred says, farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And you say, David, that's what sin does. I know. When you manipulate Scripture, that's sin. The next thing I want you to see here is this. We must understand, we must know Scripture, but we must study Scripture. Some of you may be saying, David, I'm just struggling to understand Scripture. I'll give you a great book you can go buy. It's called... How to Study the Bible by K. Author. Great book. Uh, it's been very good in many people's lives. And it will help you understand how to study Scripture. But I want to just take a, a sidetrack here for just a second and tell you, we must study Scripture in light of Scripture. We don't just open up our Scripture, take half a piece and say, this is what God wanted me to hear today. We've got to look at the context. I was reading a book the, the guy used an example of this. If you were to take the frog, how many of y'all dissected a frog as, as a teenager in, in high school? All the younger people? Yeah? All right, so we dissected frogs, right? And if you haven't gotten there yet, you'll get there, guys. Um, but it's one of the coolest days of class. And so you're dissecting a frog, and you get to see what's in the frog, right? But if you really want to learn about the frog, you need to place him in his environment, if you really want to know how the frog's going to interact, you need to place him in the environment to see what the frog is going to do. When you only have a snapshot of one moment of this frog and you're dissecting it, but it's dead, you can't see how it interacts in its culture. We need to read the Bible and understand the context of what the Scriptures are speaking and then say, how do we apply this to our life? Let me just share with you one verse that I struggle with. Philippians 4.13 I can do... Let's try that again. I can do... 
Through Christ who? Absolutely. We know it. A lot of people will put it on their blackout in a football game. If you don't know what a blackout is, stuff right here, I don't know what it is, but it's just little black stuff that goes on your face. Looks pretty cool. Um, and they'll put Philippians 4.13, and they'll get out there and they'll say, man, uh, you know, I can, I can catch that ball because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For me personally, I had the same situation. I was uh, a little bit afraid of heights. At one point in my life, I was standing on the side of a cliff and I was about to jump, attached to something, but I was about to jump. And I was shaking a little bit. I was a little bit nervous. And uh, I had to jump. Uh, this was way before I was dating Leslie and I wanted to make sure I impressed the person next to me. And so I had to jump. And I was scared. I was fearful. And finally I said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I jumped. And I don't think in that moment that God was necessarily telling me to jump. But when you read Philippians 4.13 in context and you go back a few scriptures and you read it, what do you see? You see that Paul says, hey, I've learned to live in good times and tough times. Hey, I can live no matter what I go through because it's Christ who lives in me. But yet we'll take that one verse and we'll say, you know, I can go walk in the middle of that street right there and not get hit by a car because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's almost like we biblicize our stupidity sometimes. So we need to make sure that we study it in context of Scripture and make sure that we look at, at what's happening around the situation. If you want to study the book of Ephesians, you need to start in Acts 19. You say, why? Because that's when Paul goes to Ephesus. And when he goes to Ephesus, a revival breaks forth. He teaches them. He disciples them for a couple years. Revival begins to break forth. And ultimately he leaves due to this riot that kind of breaks out. And then he pins the note to, to the Ephesians called Ephesians. And so if you read Ephesians 1-6 through 6 in light of Acts 19 to see what the culture was going through, you begin to understand why he put some of the things in Ephesians that needed to be there. One of the things he talks about is, hey, Christ lives in us. And the people of Ephesus were dealing with the fact that Artemis was there. The temple of Artemis. And people could have easily said, well, where's your God? My God's right there. You can see my God. Well, the people of Ephesus needed to know that, hey, he lives inside of me. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's pretty cool. Walking down the street of Ephesus and somebody says, there's my God. Look, there's the temple. And I could look back and say, man... I've been a disciple under Paul who's teaching me of Jesus. And you know what I just found out? He lives right here. I probably would have been that little kid that was like, nah, 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 you know. So anyways, I want to read, and then we'll go on to the last point, but I want to read Psalms 119, 96 through 105. This verse just jumped off the pages at me as I was studying. It says, oh, how I love your law. And in some interpretations, it says your word. It says, oh, how I love your word, your law. It is my meditation all the day. All the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. You know why? Because we know who our God is. For they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than, that, than the aged because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. 
For your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. And then the one you many of you know, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I'm going to challenge you. Can I challenge y'all? I want to challenge you to memorize that. Some of y'all are like, whoa. I want to challenge you to memorize that. That scripture right there is so, I mean, like, like it just, it just, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like, like the Lord just saying, David, this is what we should be crying out according to the word of God. Like we should, we should look at the, the word like that, that it should be like honey to our lips. Like it should be something that we meditate on day and night. I mean, meditate on day and night. And I just want you to see it also talks about in there that, that he shares that I'm wiser than those who are even teachers. Wiser than my enemies. All these different things. And let me just tell you something. We must be learners of the word of God. But here's the thing. If you're only learning to grow knowledge, then you'll end up walking in pride. I truly believe that when you see somebody who is a learner and humble, you will begin to see somebody that you say is wiser than their years. Wiser than their years. But when you see a college student walk out and say, man, I got all this knowledge. I'm so knowledgeable. You know what I tell college students that want to come? And I'm not even going to look at the college students for a second. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know what I tell college students who come and they want to debate like different theological things and they want to like talk about all these really strong awesome like knowledgeable like they want to just show how much knowledge they they'll walk in with their you know ready and and I don't really argue it um you know sometimes people just want to have fun and just learn about it and that's fine I will teach it but I tell them I say listen if you really want to grow and this is this might rub a few people the wrong way but just hear me out I say, if you really want to grow spiritually, because I think what you're doing with your knowledge, you're trying to grow spiritually. If you really want to grow spiritually, it's not about knowledge, it's about dying. It's about dying to self. So I'll look at that, and it will usually stop the conversation like that. And I'll say, you know, if you really want to be spiritual, let's just die. Let's die to self. Let's just humble ourselves before God and ask God to speak to us. I know that sounds pretty brash, but it's truth out of the Word of God. So the last thing I want you to see is this. Number one, we, we walk through what a disciple is. The qualifications, just the two little things that I... I mean, there's so many things that I could speak on on that. But just the two things. is One, you're a believer in Christ. A true believer in Christ. Number two, you're teachable slash humble. And what does a disciple do? They're a learner. They learn through studying the Word of God, through mentors, through a discipler, a disciple maker. They learn through events and seminars. They learn through all these things. But... Here's what I want you to see is this. Your knowledge and understanding and wisdom will push you to a point of falling in love with your Father. Let me explain that to you for a second. This is kind of the bridge to my last point. If, if you're studying Scripture, guess what it tells you that you are? Outside of Christ, it tells you that we're dead. Outside of Christ, it tells you that we are nothing. Like, that we're dead. I don't even know how else to exclaim it. I mean, exclaim it. We're, we're, we're dead. No one is righteous, no, not one. But then it tells us that our Father loved us enough to send His Son to die for us, 
And I don't know about y'all, but the more I study Scripture, the more I realize how dead I was. The more I realize how sinful I was. The more I realize what it took for Jesus and His love to send His Son that I may have life. And so the more I study Scripture and the more I realize how dead I was, the more I realize how much my dad loves me. And so the more that you study Scripture, your love for the Father should be an overflowing because you realize He loved you that much. And every time I study it, it says, hey, you thought it was this much? Oh no, it's like I can't even put my arms out that far. And then the next time I study it, I'm like, whoa, I thought it was this much, but man, it's even greater than that. And I get to the point where I'm like, man, like studying Scripture makes my love of the Father grow stronger and stronger every day. If I'm not in the, in the Word daily and I come up here to speak, you're going to see the same love of the Father in me last week, this week. But when I'm in the this, in this study and I'm, I'm studying the Word and I'm falling in love with my Father, you're going to see me even more in love today than I was yesterday. Because I'm learning how much my dad loves me and what he did for me to have life. And that love, here's where the rubber meets the road. That love will push you to obedience. That love will push you to obedience. I heard it said that many Christians, probably 90 plus percent of American Christians, don't need any more knowledge. They just need to be obedient with what they already have knowledge of. Let me say that again. Most Christians probably just need to be obedient with the knowledge that they have instead of trying to build up more knowledge. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, By this you know that they have come to know Him. How do you know that you know Jesus? How do you know that you're a disciple of Jesus? That we keep His commandments. That we're obedient. Go back to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does it say in verse 20? It says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to obey. Hey, let me tell you something. You want to know if you're teachable? You want to know if you're truly teachable? This is where you find out. If you sit there and you say that, that, that you're learning all this stuff, but you're not walking in, in, in obedience, this is where you find out if you're truly teachable. This is where you find out if you're walking in humility or if you're walking in pride. Are you placing into your life that that you are learning about the gospel? Why do we call them fall equipping classes? Because Bible studies, sometimes people just go because they want knowledge And I don't have a problem with the term Bible study, but we call them fall equipping classes because we're equipping you to go and put it into your life. It's kind of like this. If I go out and I learn how to work out, and I study the best books to work out, and my wife, like, surprises me with a full-out workout system at my house, which would be a waste of money. But I've studied and I've studied and I'm like, man, I know, I, I, I learned the form of how to do the bench press. You know, I, I'm ready to do all, I'm, I'm excited. Like, I am going to look like, I guess, Arnold Schwarzenegger, however you say his name. I mean, buff. I'm going to look big. But then I sit over here in the chair 
And I look at all the workout equipment, and I say, man, that's nice stuff. And a year later, I say, why don't I look like him? Well, it's because I had all the knowledge but no obedience. I had all the understanding but no practice. In the book of James, chapter 1, 22-25, it talks about this. It says, But prove yourself a doer of the word and not merely a hearer who deludes himself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, and he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Hey, let me just be real with y'all. If you're just going to a Bible study because you want to gain knowledge, I would tell you that you're probably going for the wrong reasons. You say, well, David, Bible studies are good. I know they are. When you place them into your life, when you observe them, and you obey them, it's kind of like Financial Peace University that we're teaching. We're on the second week tonight. It's great to go and study it. But if you don't place the practices of the scripture of money into your life, guess what? You're going to find yourself doing the same old thing. What we have to see here is this. Obedience to your knowledge requires discipline, which is painful for a short time. Hebrews chapter 12, 11 says this. All dis- discipline for a moment seems, to be joy- seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Too many of us believers want to just read books and have peaceful fruit of righteousness. But there is a discipline, obedience process that happens in between. And it all happens because you love your Father more and more because you realize He has His best interest in for you in mind. But yet too often we miss the obedience part. And let me just kind of just share this with you a little bit. I think that we've struggled a little bit with, you know, we can build up all this knowledge and then our obedience doesn't catch up to it. So all of a sudden you can have all this knowledge and your obedience is like right here. And the Lord spoke this to me last Tuesday while we were sitting in staff. Can you imagine having all this knowledge and looking down and saying, whoa, my obedience has to catch up to it? And the higher you get, guess what? The bigger the divide. And you almost can get to the point where you say, well, if I've got to do all that, I just don't know if I can do it. But when you allow your obedience and knowledge to work together, you find yourself up here not looking down saying, ooh, that might be legalistic to try to get up to here. But you allow the overflow of Christ to work into your life. About three years ago, the Lord spoke to me something, just said, David, you've got to do this and work on this. And he was opening my eyes, Psalms 139, op- uh, help me to see, you know, uh, search me and know me, O Lord, show me any evil way about me. And, and the Lord opened my eyes to see something. I fell on my face, I repented, and I began to work through the process of obedience to get it and remove it out of my life. And my mentor at the time, I said, listen, you know, uh, this is what the Lord's teaching me. And he said, man, I've been praying for that for over a year that the Lord would show you that. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me beforehand? And he said, well, because, and y'all remember what I said about teachable earlier? If the Lord's not doing it in people, then somebody else, you'll have rebellion and push against and say, whoa, if I don't see it, I'm going to push against it. And so I told him, I said, hey, I want to give you permission. This is what I said. I said, I want to give you permission to share with me anytime, anything you see. 
that I need to grow in. He said, I won't do it. And here's why he wouldn't do it. Because if he would have showed me all these things without allowing my obedience to catch up to it, I would have found myself in this situation right here. Overwhelmed. And I remember as a little kid, I'm talking little kid. In Alabama, we call them young bucks. I was a young buck sitting with a pastor named Brother Fred Wolf, And he spoke, and I don't know if you remember this a long time ago, but he spoke, he said, David, or not David, <laughs> that would have been crazy. But he was speaking to the congregation and he said, if the Lord were to open up your heart and show you everything about who you were in one instant, you would probably pass away and die right then. Because it would overwhelm you to the point that you couldn't handle it. And so that's what discipleship is, is a process of growing. But our obedience has to stay true to our knowledge and our understanding. So here's a few things I want to share with you as we leave. Why do we not walk in obedience sometimes? Some is because of a lack of trust in God. We just don't trust that He has his best, our best plans in mind. Sometimes we think we know better. Sometimes we have the pain of losing the worldly things. And sometimes it's the fear of the unknown. And if any of those is where you're at, and you're saying, I'm not walking in obedience because of the fear of the unknown, because of, of what's coming, or, or I just don't understand, or maybe it's a lack of trust or faith, I challenge you to say to God, Lord, I'm just going to be real with you. As I spoke earlier at the very beginning of the message, Lord, I'm going to be real with you. My faith is struggling a little bit right now. I want to walk in obedience, but I'm scared. God, help me to understand. Just lay it out in all reality and just say, God, this is where I'm at right now. And God, I need you to meet with me and to speak with me. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find yourself getting to a place of teachability and humility, which will ultimately allow you to be a disciple of Christ. I just want to share these last questions with you as we close. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you really? Like, are you really a disciple of Christ? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? And as A.W. Tozer said, and as I said earlier, that salvation without obedience is foreign to the Scriptures. The Scripture cries out all over the place that we must walk in obedience. And we must follow through with what we're learning and what we're growing in. But let me just share this with you. The only way to do that is to trust God and allow God to begin to remove you and be more of Him in your life. More of Christ, the Christ life. It's only Him through us. And that's where humility comes in. So my questions are this. Are you a disciple of Christ? If not, I pray that today will be the day of salvation for you. If you're a believer in Christ, but yet you've been walking in pride, I pray that today will be the day that the pride is broken, and that you fall on your face, even here, in humility, before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Because let me tell you something, in humility, Christ went to the cross, and He hung on the cross, that you may have life. I think that we can get to the point where we just fall on our face before God and say, here I am. So are you a disciple? Are you learning and falling in love with your God? You may say, David, I need to get into a Bible study. David, I need to go and study more. But let me just be real with you. Let's remind you that your personal time with your dad and spending that time letting Scripture interpret Scripture is way more important in my mind because it's personal. And number three, is your obedience in line with your knowledge? As I quoted the, the quote earlier, 
Most Christians don't need more knowledge. They just need to be obedient with the knowledge they have. When I read that, man, it smacked me right between the eyes. That's me. I say, Lord, help me every day to walk in obedience. Help me every day. So where are you? 